The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Uh, you may already say, why is this guy preaching out of Galatians? It's Christmas, preach a, a Christmas sermon. To which my answer is, okay, I will. You'll understand that as we go. Galatians chapter three, verse 10. I invite you to stand as I read God's word. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. It is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that by faith, We would come and receive your word, that we would believe your word. Give clarity to the preaching and clarity to the hearing and the receiving of the word. Keep us from complicating matters. Keep us from hiding behind excuses of words. And may we come now to hear the truth of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So here's the main point of this sermon, that through faith alone, God's people receive his blessing. Now let's focus on the end of this for a moment. Receive his blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I I struggle with the Christmas gift giving thing and have for years. Not that I don't want to give people gifts. What I struggle with is this whole fair equity deal. The older you get, the worse this thing gets, you know. If you give me something that costs $20, I got to give you something that costs $20. If you give me something that costs $50, I got to give you something that costs $50. And if you give me $100, I ain't giving you anything. I just, <laughs> anyway, here's what's driving that. Track with me here. Tit for tat. Now, that mentality is keeping some of you, maybe many of you, from Christ. God does not play tit for tat with human beings. Let me just be clear. He's not looking for anything from you. Through faith alone, God's people receive his blessing. And this is the argument that Paul has been making in Galatians up to this point. And what he does here is compact multiple Old Testament scriptures together in a compact argument. Now, because sometimes we're not very familiar with the Old Testament or the Bible or the language of the scripture, we can read a verse, verses like this and say, this is difficult. This is too complex for my mind. He's answering one question, friend, one question. How is a person made right with God? That's a simple, simple question that's driving him. How is a person made right with God? And here's what he maps out. He maps out two pathways and two destinations. One pathway leads to a horrible destination. 
The other pathway leads to a glorious destination. So let's unpack each one. First pathway and destination. It's summarized in this. That all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So here's the pathway. The works of the law. The destination of the works of the law is a curse. And what does curse mean? It means somebody's putting you under a hex. It means that you are held liable for the consequences and the penalties of your actions. That you're held liable for the consequences and the penalties of your actions. Now to think that God would curse is crude and harsh to modern ears. Modern people want to think of a God who blesses, period. We repel at the fact, at the thought that God would curse. Now watch what's being said here. I'm going to reread verses 10 through 12. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, he's quoting the Old Testament here, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by the law for, quoting the Old Testament, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not by faith. Rather, again, quoting the Old Testament, the one who does them shall live by them. All right, let's make sure we get his main thesis here. It's at the beginning of verse 10. All who rely on the law are under a curse. Now, I don't know of any of you directly in this room relying on the law. There are probably a few, but that's not a big issue here. But we got to go back to the first century when Paul writes this. And we've got to hear this from a Jewish perspective. Now, here's what a faithful Jewish person believed. Faithful. I notice I'm stressing that word. A faithful Jewish person believed they were blessed because they kept the law. They believed that Gentiles were cursed. Now, don't think for a moment when Paul makes this statement that he didn't have the attention of every Jewish background person when he said, all who rely on the law are under a curse. He backs up this argument with a quotation from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, I didn't turn over to Deuteronomy. You could. And what you would read there is a series of curses for people who either do something or don't do something that is contrary to what God has said. Now, here's what's very interesting about Deuteronomy 27, if you study it closely. About half of these curses have to do with private sin, with things that people do that no one else sees. Don't think for a moment Paul didn't know that when he quotes Deuteronomy 27. So let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. It's not just about what you do outwardly that people see. It's also what you do privately that no one sees. That results in God saying, cursed is everyone who does not abide 
by all things written in the book of the law. Now, what this is, is a logical argument that ensues in verses 10 through 12. Now, I know that some of us don't use logic very often. In fact, we have become quite an illogical society. You know, long as my point of view is valid and your point of view is valid, and then we're all just going to live on our own point of view. And we wonder why we have such chaos in the world. God created a logical world that, that functions off of some if-then things. So let me just walk you through the logical argument here. Premise number one. You must keep the entire law to avoid the curse. That's his first premise. You must keep the entire law to avoid the curse. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 12, the one who does them shall live by them. It's another way of saying it. You gotta do everything that's in the law. Premise number two, it's in verse 11. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So here's premise number two. No one keeps the entire law. Nobody. Therefore, here's the conclusion of the logical argument. Therefore, no one who depends on doing the law will escape the curse. I'll repeat it. No one who depends on doing the law will escape the curse. So why the law? The law shows us that we cannot be perfect. The law of God, what God has revealed to us, exposes our sin. Now, let me be clear here. The law does not make us sinners. The law simply reveals that we are already sinners. It shows us who we are. It uncovers our sinful heart and what motivates us. The law was given in order to make our sin obvious to us, to make it clear to us. Now, let me just hit the pause button right here. I have to say this. You live in a world now that's rejecting God's law and saying, he didn't mean that. That's antiquated. It's out of date. People need to get with the times. Folks, it frightens me for when this modern world stands before a holy God. Your, your postmodern arguments will not hold up to what God has said. God has spoken and he has been clear. And God's word is revealed to us. The law of God was revealed to us to make it obvious who we are. Verse 12. He says, the law is not of faith. That means, that means if you lean on the law, you're leaning on yourself. You're leaning on your ability to keep the law. You're leaning on your ability to impress God. Exercising faith means that you lean on Christ. So any pathway which men attempt to use and women attempt to use to obtain salvation other than trusting in Christ is antagonistic to the gospel. It is opposed to the gospel. Faith looks to what Christ has done for salvation. We rely on the work of God not on our works. So this leads him to write and to quote Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous person is a person who has in place their entire confidence in God. They are trusting him completely. 
And as a result, receiving the joy of the gracious provision which God the Father has made for us in the salvation provided through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I basically just answered it, but I'm going to ask the question overtly and then I'm going to answer it in the next point. How then is one made righteous? How does this person made righteous who then lives by faith? The answer is all who trust in Christ by faith alone receive God's blessing. The word alone is crucial. You don't add works to it. We trust in Christ by faith. So the pathway here is faith. We don't become right with God by doing. We become right with God by believing. The destination is God's blessing. Now, what does that mean? I have to confront this, all right? So track with me here, track with me. Don't interpret God's blessing as Americans. I've heard Americans pray this so many times. God, just thank you for the blessings of living in a free country and being able to worship freely and thank you for the blessings of my home and my family and all that. That is not what God's talking about here. That is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the blessing as it relates to Abraham. Don't don't answer me out loud yet because you might get in trouble, okay? So what was the blessing of Abraham? Was it that God gave him land? Was it that God is going to multiply him as the stars in heaven? Was it God gave him a wife? That God gave him a son? Is that, is that the blessing of Abraham? No. Here's the blessing of Abraham. You ready? When God said, I will be your God. There's the blessing. So lest you're not putting it together in your head, it's that cursed, sinful people can personally know God. That is the blessing. That is the outcome. Not just in the here and now, friends, but forever and ever. How is this true? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ redeemed. The word redeemed means he delivered or he bought back. It's a word picture. It's a word picture of slavery. It's purchasing a person who is in the bondage of slavery. Here's the slavery we're in bondage to. We're in bondage to slavery, to our sin and to ourself. We are all in a dire situation. And it is through Christ alone that we are delivered, that we are redeemed. We are all cursed under the law. We are all guilty. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, Matthew 5, 17, to fulfill the law. Jesus Christ obeyed the law of God for us. Now track with this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the law is good. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it completely. Jesus alone has a righteousness that is sufficient before God the Father. This is a quote 
no other religious teacher, whether in the Bible or in any other religion, can claim a righteousness of his own merit before God, only Jesus Christ. Now, I just challenge you. If you're one of those people like all religions are the same. No, they're not. You study closely the founders of all religions. And here's what you'll find. You'll find a man who at best struggled with his corruption. Jesus Christ was perfectly righteous in every way. Why? Because Christ the Lord was and is the solution for a cursed humanity. Jesus is the substitutionary curse. It's a big theological phrase. Penal substitutionary atonement. Let me just break that down. That means Christ was punished in our place to pay for our sins. He became a curse for us. If you'll remember in John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way. As we think about dealing with the curse, what we're saying here, what Jesus is saying is, there was no other way for the curse to be removed. Jesus is the only way. And he did not simply become a curse. He became a curse for us. He received the curse that we had earned so that we can receive the blessing that he earned. So let's summarize Paul's understanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross with three affirmations. And it's a phrase I'm just going to build on it. Okay. Number one, Christ was cursed. Christ was cursed. That just needs to weigh on our hearts. Christ was cursed. Second, Christ was cursed by God. And folks, this is where you need to understand this, that there's a lot of modern evangelicalism, and I use that loosely. There's a lot of people you're listening to possibly on the television who do not believe in penal substitutionary atonement. And the argument goes, it sounds very sweet and sappy. How would a loving God punish his son? And I just want to respond to that by saying, if a loving God did not punish his son, he could not extend a gracious love to save you. It was the love of God that motivated him to curse his only son. Christ was cursed. Christ was cursed by God. Christ was cursed by God for us. First Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. It cost Jesus his life. Now I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter 1. Now those of you who are new, just kind of ignore the next 30 seconds. Take a commercial break, okay? Those of you who've been studying Galatians with us here, it probably perplexed you that Peter was wrong and that Paul had to confront Peter and how could that be? And how could Peter get justification by faith wrong? How could he get off? 
Thank God for the Bible. Okay, thank God for the Bible, because first Peter chapter one records the fact that Peter got justification by faith. Right. I wish you could have been in my office on, on, on Wednesday morning when, when I saw this come together. I, I, I'd studied this passage so many times. I'd never seen what comes together right here. So watch this. Watch this. Verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed and ransomed are very similar words. They mean the same thing. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. What are the feudal ways from your forefathers? That you can earn your salvation or that you can buy it. So you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So hear me on this. God didn't react and say, oh man, they sinned. Whoops. Before the foundation of the world, this was God's plan. Thanks be unto God. His mystery and mind is greater than mine. This was his plan. That in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Why? Why? So that your faith and hope are in God. As opposed to what? So that your faith and your hope are not in yourself. That your faith and your hope are not in what you do. That your faith and hope are in God. Friends, faith is laying hold of Jesus Christ personally. Now, there may be somebody in here that fits what I'm going to say next. Hear me through because it's going to sound like I'm mad at you. I'm not. There's probably somebody in here who today is here out of desperation. That You showed up to say, man, I got to get something right. If I go to church, God would probably bless me. And just let me tell you this. That's not how God works. God's not tit for tat. God doesn't owe you something because you came to church today. This is not how it plays out. God's not impressed with the fact you came to church today. But track with me here. Here's probably what's happening to you, even though you're thinking about it as something you're doing. Here's what's happening to you. God drew you here today. God's doing something beyond you. And there's no mistake that today there's this clear message of how you're made right with God. So it's not by coming to church. It's not by stopping whatever it is that you're doing. Now, I'm not saying you need to keep doing it. I'm just saying it's not by stopping it. Here's how you're made right with God. You admit that you are a sinful person who deserves the curse of God because you've broken his law. And that God sent his son in your place to die on the cross for you so that he could purchase you back. Today, look to Christ and believe. What must I do? Look to Christ and believe. By faith alone, you lay hold of Christ. This is a quote. The faith that links us to Christ is not a meritorious work. It's not something you earn. 
Indeed, saving faith is a gift of God wrought in us by the Holy Spirit, R.C. Sproul. And let me just pause here for a moment to thank God for the ministry of R.C. Sproul. That saint of God, that warrior for the faith went to be with Jesus this week. And the church will be indebted to him for many centuries to come for the clarity of his writing. And here's what he did to 20th century evangelicals. He said, whoa, what is it you people are preaching? The gospel is by faith alone, not by something you do. Thanks be unto God for this brother and for his fearlessness to remind us along with John Stott, who I now quote, there is no merit in faith. It is not another work. Its value is not in itself. It is entirely in its object, Jesus Christ. Faith apprehends nothing but the precious jewel, Jesus Christ. Christ is the bread of life. Faith feeds upon him. Christ was lifted up on the cross. Faith gazes at him there. Back to Galatians 3, verse 14. Here's the conclusion of the argument. So that, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So it is by faith alone in Christ we receive the promised spirit or the blessing of the spirit. Now, if you follow the connection here, what he's doing, Paul's saying that the blessing of the spirit is equal to, it is the same as the blessing of Abraham. Now, what was the blessing of Abraham? I will be your. Now, do you understand this? This is what the Bible teaches. This is profound. This ought to sit on you. That when you trust in Christ alone, by faith alone, God resides in you, Holy Spirit himself. The power and the presence of God is in you. He's not Jiminy Cricket over here on your shoulder, whispering at you occasionally while the devil's over here on this shoulder. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is the blessing of the believer. So here's the crushing conclusion to this argument with the Judaizers. Now track with it. Since the Gentiles, that's me and you, the non-Jews, have the Holy Spirit, they enjoyed the blessing of Abraham, which Jews thought was only for Jewish people. Let me back up and read it one more time. He maintains that since the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit, they enjoyed the blessing of Abraham. And if they enjoyed the blessing of Abraham, then they are members of Abraham's family. And if they are a part of Abraham's family because they have received the Holy Spirit, they do not need to submit to circumcision or to the keeping of the law to become a part of the people of God. Why? Because they already are by faith alone. So what then? Here's the question. Am I living by faith in Christ alone? Friends, there are two pathways. One is the keeping of law 
It can either be God's law or some law you've come up with. It's a, it's a keeping of some kind of code. If you keep the code, then, then you're going to be a better person. You'll be a better person than God's going to love you. Here's what the Bible's clearly telling you. The destination of the code is curse. The pathway of faith is the blessing of God. And here's what the blessing of God looks like daily in the life of a Christian. The righteous shall live by faith. Tim Keller asked a series of questions in light of this verse. He says, ask yourself, what do you live by? You live by faith or are you living by, what's, what's your motivating factor? What, what's the code for your life? What's, what's driving you? What's your life based on? What if you lost that? What would happen to you? How would you end up feeling and responding? This is what faith is. Faith is a needy cry for God. Work says, God, look at me. Aren't you impressed with me? Faith is a hand reaching out for help. While works say, I don't need any help. I want you to track with my illustration here. Just try it. You'll, pr- you'll be able to prove this today. You know why I think most people live by works around here? Is because when I ask people, hey, how could I pray for you? This is the number one response I get from Christians. Number one, you ready? I'm fine. I really don't need anything. Really? Now, track with me here. That's why you don't pray. It's not because you don't know how. You don't pray because you don't think you need anything. That's saying a ton about how you are approaching your standing before God. Faith that trusts in God alone, that only he can accomplish salvation while works smuggle in human effort and cooperation. I conclude this part with a a word picture from Luther. Trying to be justified by your works is like counting money from an empty purse. It's like eating and drinking from an empty dish and cup. It's like looking for strength and riches where there is nothing but weakness and poverty. It's like laying a burden on someone who is already oppressed to the point they're gonna collapse. And I love this last one. It's like trying to spend 100 pieces of gold when you only have a penny. I was sitting in the parking lot waiting on my wife to go into a store to buy some things and I'm watching these hundreds of throngs and throngs of people coming in, coming out with bags and bags and bags and getting in there nice cars. And here's the thought that occurred to me. Oh God, how many of these people went in that store with a penny and spent like they had gold? We live in a culture that's living on credit. And we're ignoring, we're ignoring where we're rapidly coming to as a culture, personally, 
and together. And here's what people think. They think they're living on the credit of their works. I piled up enough. My, my good, it's outweighing my bad. I stand before God. Look at the good and not the bad. No. He's going to condemn all of it. You hear me? All of it. The good and the bad. Because Romans 3 says your righteousness is a filthy rag. You know why? Because you did it in your own effort. The righteous live how? By faith. What does that mean? Come on, preacher, help me. What does that mean that I'm to live by faith? What does that look like? Let me just give you two principles and I'm done. To live by faith means that every day I must recognize my need for the gospel, which means that I have to recognize my sin. got to recognize what's going on in me and through me. My friend Dave Busby, before he died, he would preach, he'd say, he said, you got a whiff of your own depravity lately? You know, we're smelling everybody else and judging them. You got a whiff of your own? You see, when we recognize our sin, it drives us to the gospel. Maybe he did or she did. If an obvious homeless person waddled in here after a night of hard living in good old G-Town and sat down beside of you, how would you view them? Let's be honest. I'm better than he is. What if a known prostitute came in and sat down in the chair beside of you? How would you feel toward her? Here's what the gospel says. I am as needy as she is. Number two, we must cling to the cross of Christ alone. So hear me, friends. If all I did was focus on my sinfulness, it would depress me. It would discourage me. Hear me, God does not intend for me or for you to live in this constant feeling of failure and condemnation. So when my sin becomes evident, I cling to the cross. When my depravity becomes clear, I run to Christ. I don't bargain with God. I don't try to come up with another solution on how to deal with it. I flee to Jesus. And I live there in the joy and the freedom of Christ's forgiveness. So on the one hand, I am conscious of my sin. It never leaves my mind. But on the other hand, I do not let that knowledge cripple me. For the cross is my liberation. It is the freedom from the curse of sin. Faith, trust in Christ alone for all that he has done. Joy to the world. 
The Lord has come. Verse three says, he comes to make his blessings flow. That doesn't mean, okay, let me reset it again. Oh, here's money, here's money, here's stuff. That means that the poorest, dire person living in the slums of India who has trusted in Christ alone can rise to their feet with you American believers today and sing joy to the world. He has made his blessings flow. Where? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. Thanks be unto God that his blessing has flowed into this wicked heart and redeemed the curse that had bound me for hell and has set me free to Christ. And thanks be unto God for everyone in this room that the, the blessing of God has reached the curse of your own heart and that he has set you free. And to those who came in here who without hope and without Christ, look to Jesus today as the blessing of God flows to you. And as we rise from here and take the blessed gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's pray. Oh God, I plead. I plead, my words are so inadequate. Your word is sufficient. Holy Spirit, I trust that you and you alone save. So do your work in the hearts and lives of people. Confront sin and may Christ be clear and may people look to Christ now and believe, repenting of their sin and trusting in their Savior. And for those who have trusted in you and continue to live by that faith, I pray that they would glorify and honor you as Lord and as Savior as we sing and worship and go. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.